Welcome to Truth Script Tuesday. It is that time of the week again where we talk about the articles on the Truth Script website, and there's some good articles this week. Let me tell you, the most popular article we've ever published was last Wednesday on exegetical preaching, and uh, I, I would love to hear your thoughts. <laughs> Put it in the comments section as to why you think this was a popular article. I think it's because it identifies correctly a problem and gives a good solution for it. So we're going to talk about that article and we're also going to talk about uh, two or three other articles uh, on the website. We have a book review, uh, we have a movie review, a uh, number of things. And we've updated the website as well, so I want to show you some of that. Um, boy, I'll tell you, it's hard doing this podcast when it is so beautiful outside. <laughs> it is. It, can you believe it's the middle of summer? It is the middle of summer now. In fact, my, my birthday is July 12th, it's tomorrow, and... Uh, and I, I'll let people in the comments section guess as to how old I am. I don't, I don't, I don't think the comments are stamped, time stamped. If they were, I would say I'll just give a prize to whoever gets it first. Uh, but uh, you can guess how old I am, and um, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see how many people want to be on my nice list. <laughs> but uh, I am in middle age. There is no doubt about it because tomorrow I asked. This is the weird thing: is I wanted to do this. Uh, to uh, I told my wife. I asked my wife. Is it all right if I smoke some ribs tomorrow for my own birthday? Who does that, right? Usually you go out to eat, you have someone else do it. I mean, that's the day that you, you take a day off. You don't do work on that. Nope, um, nope, That I, I wanted to smoke the ribs. And maybe, I, maybe that's the middle age. I don't know what it is. I don't know. I just, in my head, I associate that with like older dads or something. You want to smoke meat? You want to grill stuff? You want to put in work on your own birthday? What's up with that? But but that is what I'm doing by choice. Uh, and uh and it should be good. But anyway, sorry uh, to digress there. I got uh, distracted. But uh, so True Script, uh, the website has been updated a bit. We have uh, the board members. You can check that out for True Script, who are currently on the board there. Josh Abitoy, Danny Steinmeier, Russell Fuller, and David Harris. And you can check out what they're about. All great guys. Um, so we, we, we actually, it's pretty balanced too. I was thinking about this. We have a teacher. We have a professor. We have a pastor. And then we have, uh, I guess, I don't know what Josh would be. I mean, he's a director, I guess. Uh, he's from, he was a lawyer though. So, but he's, he's, I, I associate him as more in the political world. So we just have, it's, it's really well balanced and, and really solid guys. Uh, they all believe in the vision, which is to help Christians not be conformed to the world, but instead transformed by the renewing of their minds and uh, to do so through the articles and, and everything that we produce, uh, the podcasts, the um, events, all of that. So, um, so, so that's one of the new things that's on the True Script website. Uh, also, just want to let people know, if you want to submit an article, there is, you, you scroll down to the bottom, it says publish. If you click on that, it will uh, take you here and you can create an account and then you can submit an article if you have something to say. Uh, some people have asked me, because we, we've had a lot of people submitting articles, hey, when are you going to get back to me and let me know if, if you're going with the article? And I've talked to the people editing and we're on a shoestring here as far as not just budget, but also just resources, um, manpower, and and we're we're trying. We're it might take a few weeks, but we're we're gonna try uh, to get back to you. Some some articles, if they're directly relevant immediately, which is TrueScript wants articles like that, um, they'll probably be published sooner, uh, or at least considered sooner. Um, if they're not, if they're timeless articles, it, it may be a few weeks before you receive an answer. But our goal is to give you an answer, and if you don't ever receive one, we apologize. But uh, it's just because. There's just not the manpower right now. Um, if you want to volunteer, if you're good at editing, you got to be good at editing for this. If you want to volunteer, reach out. <laughs> reach out. Info at truescript.com and just say, hey, look, I want to volunteer my time. I really like editing. I'm good at editing. We actually have someone who's uh, doing that right now. She's doing an excellent job. 
Um, and that brings me to the other thing. Uh, if you like what True Script is putting out there and you want to see more, I, ju- I just saw the Gospel Coalition. Uh, I, I think it's like, it's something crazy, like $5 million a year they take in, something like that. It, it millions every year. <laughs> and True Script, I've, I mean, we would be great. Hey, $1 million would be great, right? <laughs> We'd be grateful We'd be grateful to get $10,000 for a year. I mean, that would be amazing right now for us, but really amazing. Um, so, you know, if you're compelled uh, to, this is a 501c3, so you do get a tax write-off. If you're compelled, uh, go to that donate tab and donate to TruthScript. Um, it's pretty easy, and uh, you will get a, a reply, an automatic reply, just uh, thanking you or recognizing that you've made that donation. So I uh, appreciate those who have donated. Thank you. All right, so let's um, let, let's get on with it. Let's let's talk about the articles that we had. Uh, we have uh, a lot of good articles, and the, the most popular article so far is by Danny Steinmeier, one of the board members for TruthScript. And Danny Steinmeier published an article, and it's it, the title of it is "Expository Preaching Does Not Equal Good Preaching." Now I'm going to read that again. Expository preaching does not equal good preaching. And for those in churches that really value expository preaching, that probably catches your eye. You probably wonder. What's he going to talk about? Now, if you if you scroll down, before we even read the article, if I can scroll down here, um, Danny Steinmeier is a pastor of Truth Valley uh, Family Bible Church in Middleton, Idaho, and a co-host of the podcast, It's Time for Truth. He is a Master's of Divinity from the Master Seminary in Sun Valley, California. Now, if any seminary is known for being, for emphasizing exegetical preaching, it is the Master Seminary. I uh, go to a church that has a Master Seminary pastor there. Uh, they are known for this. Uh, so so I think that even piques people's curiosity more when they know that, that this is someone who went to a seminary that really emphasizes exegetical preaching, and he's writing an article that's saying, hey, that doesn't, uh, that doesn't equal good preaching. What does he mean by that? Well, let's read the article. Something that we can all be thankful for in conservative American evangelicalism is the increasing prominence of expository preaching. The best preachers and faithful seminaries have modeled and taught a commitment to biblical exposition as the standard for preaching that upholds the inerrancy, sufficiency, and authority of Scripture for the edifications of God's people. Training pastors to have a sound hermeneutic that pursues the authorial intent of a passage and to explain that meaning to a congregation is invaluable. Biblical exposition is necessary, and it is a distinctively a distinctive uh, held in high esteem. So right off the bat, he's not against exegetical preaching. He's very much for it, but he's saying it's not enough. It's not enough. Um, it is not sufficient. It is uh, something we need more. He says, however, over the last few few years, I have noticed some differences among churches and pastors who ostensibly are doing the same thing. Many pastors are committed to preaching verse by verse through a book of the Bible, but it seems not all expository ministry is created equal. It turns out that not everything under the banner of exposition is good preaching. I'll define good preaching in a moment, but for now I want to highlight the trouble with so many uh, so-called expository ministries today. Now you're stepping on toes. (laughs) Now, all right, so he's saying, look, some of these expository ministries, now I don't think he goes into detail what those ministries he's talking about are, but uh, many of you probably have ministries coming to your head. Uh, He's saying there's a problem with a lot of these ministries. During my time in seminary, one of my professors was fond of using a mining analogy for a preacher's development of a sermon. In his study, the preacher does his spade work, that is processing of uh, digging into the text around the text in order to discover the gold and truth of its meaning. He studies the Greek and Hebrew. He looks into the historical context of the book, the author, and the subject discussed in the passage. The Bible is truly a gold mine, and the process of mining is the work of exegesis. 
But where many preachers go wrong is in developing their message, the expository sermon, from the pile of material that they dug out. They deliver to God's people the tailings. In mining terms, the tailings are the materials left over after the process of separating the valuable faction from the uneconomic portion. Tailings are not waste material, but they are not the prize that the miner is supposed to be pursuing. So how does this relate to preaching? Some of the tailings of expository preaching today are the filling of a sermon with trivia, the frequent, often weekly excursions into the nuances of Greek words, in-depth, lengthy explanations of the geography or the topography, the history, the culture, the chronology, the dates. All of this is important to sift through, and some of it may have value and may be necessary for adding color and clarity in a sermon. But the goal of the exegesis is for the preacher to discover the golden meaning of the text for himself. The goal of exposition is not to deliver the exegesis to the people, but to deliver a polished nugget of pure gold for the worshipful wonder and practical value that the listener can take home with them. Often expositions that are full of tailings leave the people with a history lesson where they walk away saying, that was interesting. For many, an interesting sermon is a good sermon, But what's often missing in expository sermons is the prophetic boldness that includes important and often hard-hitting applications. Pastors need to preach to the hearts of those who make up their flock, people who are dealing with real life in this world, battling sin, and needing counsel on how to live well for God's glory in their flourishing. The goal is the beauty of what the mining produces, not the sharing of inconsequential material. The clear and faithful meaning of the text is in its context with relevant explanation for why it matters and how it applies is the job of the preacher. Preach the gold, not the tailings. This is great. This is, and I think many right now who are listening are saying, yeah, yeah, amen. That's what we need. In fact, many of you, you you might feel like starving sheep a little bit that you go to church and maybe you get a lot of Greek words. Maybe you get a lot of knowledge and, and it's just... You're thankful for it, but you do feel this way, like it's the tailings. Like what like hit home. What what is it that you want me to think or do? What does God expect of me from this passage? This was given uh to, to me for a purpose. So what's the purpose? What's the tell us? Pastor Steinmeier goes on, he says, with the contemporary threats of social justice, wokeism, and progressivism that surround God's people on a daily basis, when and how does a preacher committed to biblical exposition address such issues? Well, it turns out that some expository ministries have been able to avoid a lot of engagement with the issues by hiding behind their commitment to expository preaching. By the way, this is 100% true, and I've heard it from multiple sources. People come to me and say, John, my pastor's not going to address the issues going on right right outside our church doors because he says we are in James chapter 2 today, and we're only going to focus on what James chapter 2 says. Meanwhile, my congregation, the, the people around me are just, they're starving. They're starving for answers. They're getting answers, going to other places. They're finding you, John. They're finding your podcast. They're not finding direction from their pastors on these moral issues. The excuse goes something like this. We preach expos- expositionally, verse by verse throughout a book of the Bible. We're not shying away from dealing with issues. We'll address it when the subject comes up in the text, but we can't let the newspaper headlines dictate what we preach about. And so they simply move to the next verse explaining what it was like in ancient times, and promoting a very generic and winsome message. Time marches on, and somehow an expository ministry built on the Word of God leaves their people ill-equipped, frustrated, unprotected, and vulnerable, because it's amazing how they never seem to come to those verses. This is classic Big Eva, to stand on conservative principles simultaneously undermining them. That's a pretty stiff charge. 
Why can there be such a wide range of quality in preaching when the range is filled with uh, expositors? It's because doing exposition is not sufficient. Pastoral ministry is not boxed in by a commitment to a method of preaching. The call of Christ to the apostle John in John 21.16 was to shepherd my sheep. Too many pastors translate that as explain to the sheep how you came to the meaning of the text. That's actually a good line to repeat. The call of Christ is to shepherd my sheep, not explain to the sheep how you came to the meaning of the text. The message of Paul to the elders at Ephesus was be on guard for yourselves and for all your flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and far and from among your own selves men will arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after them. A shepherd loves the sheep and gives them what they need in order to protect them from savage wolves. To do that, you may or may not have to leave the next verse and find other verses that address the need of the hour to fend off the wolves. Man, that's good. Man, that's good. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine... Uh, it was, um, I believe it was a Sunday, right? December 7th, when the Pearl Harbor was bombed. Can you imagine that happens in the morning and the pastor gets up at the pulpit, doesn't even mention it? Turn to John chapter three. You know, we're going to go over uh, uh, being born again. Great, good truth. Um, what about just what, what happened this morning, right? Good preaching. What then is good preaching? Good preaching comes from shepherds who exposit the text of Scripture with a vision for applying a biblical worldview to every area of life. Pastors need to not just demonstrate that they studied the meaning of the text by delivering the gold, but also how their love and concern for God's people shows in their applicational use of the Bible. The most wonderful realization for me in preaching expositionally through books of the Bible is in seeing how relevant and timeless Scripture is. It is remarkable how easy it is to draw principles, parallels, and applications for living in our present age from the text we are in. But even if that is not easy for other preachers, it is incumbent upon them to deliver good preaching on the issues that threaten their flock. Why? Because applying biblical worldview matters. Good preaching is at war with speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. Good preaching is directly related to loving Christ's flock. He talks about uh, Joel Beek and, the, and Reformers and the Puritans. Um, he says, Beek points out that the Reformers and Puritans spent many times more effort in application than in discrimination. Many preachers today fall short in this area. And, and so that, that's a, a good point, that applying it to life is where the rubber meets the road. And that's what, if you, if you really respect the Puritans, if you really respect the Reformers, do what they did, right? Um, don't spend all your time assessing what the text means. I mean, that, that, that could be a good lecture. In fact, I'm guilty of this at times. I, I've gotten into the pulpit. I did so, I think, two weeks ago, to be honest with you. And I gave somewhat of a lecture. My wife told me after, she goes, that was kind of a lecture. And I listened to it and I said, yeah, it kind of was. I mean, it was a good lecture, right? <laughs> but it was a lecture. Um, I didn't really apply it that much to the people. I just, so I think that, um, that there, there's a lot to be said here. There's a lot to be said. Uh, the best preachers include application through their sermons, not only when concluding, so throughout the whole sermon, be, apply what you're learning, not just like tag it on at the end. When you hear your pastor apply the text, you find out what kind of a leader and shepherd you have. While we must continue to have a commitment to biblical exposition, these times call for men who can do more than show their study and deliver tailings of trivia. We need shepherds who are good preachers, who are faithful to the text, who love their people by helping them to properly apply the word of God to every area of life. 
Pray for your pastor, encourage your pastor, and may God grant us good preaching through our turbulent times. You know, I think the failure here in so many churches uh, on this subject is because it's the academic setting. It's, it's training for academics instead of for ministry. So often, even places that say they're training their men for ministry, oftentimes they're training them for academics, uh, and they don't even know they're doing it. And uh, I think Danny Steinmeier uh, makes really good points here. Okay, next is The Sound of Freedom, A Christian Review. That came out on July 6th, and I did see this movie, so I'm going to intersperse some of my own thoughts here. Um, but uh, anyway, it, it, there's a summarization here of the article, or, or of the movie, rather, uh, which is great, because one of the things I think parents especially are looking for is, what's the movie about, and can I take my kids? And that's addressed in this. So um, I was glad to see that uh, with uh, Pastor Richard Henry, who wrote this. Um, he talks about the emotional reaction he had to it as a father, and um, and I had an emotional reaction to it as well. Um, and you know, he 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 ends with some um, some hope. Uh, he he says two verses came to mind when he was watching this movie, and, and the movie, just so people know, um, is about sex trafficking, and it, it's the story of a man who ends up rescuing a child from sex slavery. Uh, and it, it's it's an individual who has rescued hundreds of children, but there, there's some key moments I'll talk about in a minute in the movie that just really they're they're deep, they're heavy, uh, and there's and there's hardly anything there's really nothing objectionable that I can think of. They don't show, thank goodness, they don't show any of the the sex slavery and what's actually happening, but they, it's suggestive, and it leaves it to the imagination, which is good, uh, but, uh, but but it does so in powerful ways. Anyways, Proverbs 24, 11 through 12, rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? Uh, religion that is pure and undefiled, James 1, before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, to keep oneself unstained from the world. Um, really good uh, verses to bring up in this. And I think it raises the question, is what what is the responsibility of people who are aware of this and have the power to do something about it and don't do it. Now, I, I'm not one of these guys who says, because I, I know it looks different for every believer. I'm not someone who says, you know, the pro-life cause is the most important thing. Therefore, you should model your life around the pro-life cause. There's a lot of uh, really heavy into anti-abortion activism, uh, etc. people who will make those cases. And some of them will even try to link it to the gospel and say, basically, it's, it's a duty if you're a Christian. It's part of the gospel to get involved in this. I've never never been that way. Uh, I don't think that's true uh, to take it to that extreme. Um, I do think, though, that you, you should, everyone should evaluate their life and think to themselves, what has God given me and where can I invest it? And if he's given you a lot of resources um, and, and you're, you're under the conviction, you know what's happening. You saw the movie, let's say and you're under that conviction, then you need to invest those resources towards organizations that are actually doing good work in this area, perhaps. Or um, get involved yourself. If you are in a community and you suspect something's happening, you should say something. If you suspect there's sex slavery going on, check it out. Don't just walk by, right? I remember when I was living in Raleigh, there was a big uh, sex slavery ring busted in Albany. Uh, there was one not too long ago busted. I mean, these these rings get busted, but... Um, it, 
and, and normally I, I think you probably would not tell, uh, you would not be able to tell that someone's in these um, environments, but there are, there are little clues here and there, and sometimes suspicions can be aroused, and if so, do something. Um, and of course, you know, don't, don't engage with, don't look at pornography, don't, 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 don't uh, do the kinds of things that fuel this. Don't go watch raunchy movies, don't support that with your money, right? Those are the kinds of things that fuel the fantasies that eventually uh, are the road that lead people to demanding this kind of material, um, child pornography, sex slavery, that kind of thing. Um, I was just going to say, there is a, a point in the movie, I thought the most powerful scene, my wife didn't, but I thought the most powerful scene was, it was a former drug, um, I guess drug dealer, uh, who had a kind of a drug dealing empire, but was very rich and then retires. And um, he describes, and it's one, it should be an Academy Award for that acting. Uh, he describes though, what it was like when he found out that he had, um, while he was high, he, he, he had gone and um, found a prostitute and ended up, the prostitute was, I think it was 14 years old, and the prostitute had claimed to be 25, and he just could not believe, and he saw this hurt and sadness in her eyes, and he realized he was, he was that person, and it, and it prompted him to want to take his own life, and then he decided not to, and instead invested his life towards ending this, the scourge. And, uh, and, and that, it was powerful. It was powerful. Um, the end of the movie, when they show the stats and just say, look, there's more s- slaves now than at any time in, in history, uh, sex slaves around the world. I mean, it's sobering. And what's, you got to ask yourself, what is fueling this? What, how come there's more, when, the, when there's more anti-slavery, at least in the West, there's more anti-slavery rhetoric than ever before. And we're willing to condemn anyone who might have had any association with uh, chattel slavery. Uh, we somehow sex slavery, which is, um, <laughs> there's really no comparison guys. I mean, that for some chattel slavery, uh, there, there, there was a, an element of sex slavery, um, but it was not accepted socially at all. Um, it, it, now se- the whole sex slavery is predicated on abusing people. It's predicated on that in, in grotesque ways and, and, and children. And, um, I mean, this, this is. And it's happening in the United States. The United States is one of the biggest uh, importers of this. So anyway, it, it does raise awareness. Uh, it is not a Christian movie, but it is a movie that um, I would say reinforces some Christian morality. And for that, it is paying the price. There are uh, outlets going after it, saying that it's somehow, um, somehow uh, uh, with the QAnon conspiracy, and it is uh, fuel for right-wingers with their conspiracy theories. And Really, it just makes me suspect what the motivations of some of these people are. I think Vanity Fair put out one. I think The Guardian in the UK put out one. And, and it makes me suspect them. Why are they so busy defending? Trying to, trying to uh, yeah, I guess defend. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know that they're directly defending sex slavery, but they're, they're trying to say it's not really a problem when it clearly is. It, it, it definitely is. There's no doubt about it. Uh, and it's not just because of the movie. It's because there, there actually are studies. It's... Uh, and, and there are people involved in, in saving people from this. And you got to ask yourself, why? Is it because of the internet? Is it because of mass transportation and the ability to transport people cheaply and, and so forth? Why, why now? Why now? I don't know. I don't know what the answer to that is, but it is happening. And, and you know, one of the things Jim Caviezel says at the end of the movie, there's like this after the credits, there's this video of him talking. And he says, hey, this could be like the Uncle Tom's cabin of, the, of 2023. And I thought to myself, you know, actually, no, actually, no, in a way, uh, 
because Uncle Tom's Cabin was technically a fantasy. It was it was supposed to be loosely based on some stories and so forth, but it was it was by someone who had never actually witnessed at that point in their life uh, slavery firsthand. Uh, it, it never traveled to areas where there was there was slavery to observe it. Um, it was it was a story that was made up. This isn't, guys. This isn't. This is a true story. This is based on something that actually happened and something that happens all the time. This, this really happened, and it's powerful for that reason. So check it out, The Sound of Freedom. Uh, it is in theaters now. Now, um, after that, we had a book review. Switching gears here uh, by Jonathan Fisher, a friend of mine, actually. Um, a Shepherd Looks at the Good Shepherd, and it's a book review of a book by Philip Keller. I don't think there's any relation to Tim Keller here, by the way, for those who are wondering about that. Uh, Philip Keller grew up in East Africa alongside native herders and also worked as a sheep rancher. So he knows a lot about sheep. And in his book, A Shepherd Looks at the Good Shepherd, he looks at Jesus's words in John 10 from the perspective of someone who has worked intimately with his own sheep. So you would think this might give you some insight. If the illustrations Jesus is using for what a shepherd is, is based upon this agrarian understanding of what shepherding is, someone who has that agrarian understanding is going to know. Uh, and, and so that's, that's why this is a, a good book to read. In one chapter, Keller describes how, in an Eastern cultural context, stray sheep are rounded up. Shepherds do not use ATVs or sheep dogs or helicopters. Instead, there are some sheep that follow the shepherd particularly closely, almost as if they were his shadows. In the morning, the shepherd leads these pet sheep up into the hills where his strays have wandered. There, the pet sheep gaze, uh, graze rather, alongside the strays throughout the day. Then when the shepherd begins to return home, his pet lambs naturally follow him. And after having spent the day grazing alongside the pet sheep, the strays come as well. Keller writes, he, meaning Jesus, simply asks me to be one who will be so attached to him, so fond of him, so true to him, that in truth, I shall be like his pet lamb. Oh, this is beautiful. Keller then makes the observation that like the pet sheep's effectiveness in having a part in the strays being gathered in, any Christian's effectiveness in winning others to Jesus is directly proportional to his own devotion to the master. So if others are going to be drawn to Jesus, it will be primarily uh, drawn, uh, they will be drawn and remain close uh, to him. Uh, we, we should be drawn and remain close to him ourselves. Um, he says, without a deep knowledge of the Bible, without being a student of history, without reading quality books, without wise counsel, and without communication skills, you will be less effective in the world and more vulnerable to the deception from the world the flesh and the devil, but it is also possible to know the Bible, know history, be an avid reader, have wise counselors, and be an excellent communicator, and yet fail to closely follow the good shepherd. Apart from following him, we will avoid conforming to the pattern of this world, and in one way, while inevitably conforming in another. Both nature and the human heart are poor a vacuum, and unless we are actively in, in close and obedient relationship with our good shepherd, we will follow any number of counterfeits. That's a really good point, that you know, Christianity is about following a person. It's not just about—this uh, ties in, actually, with the article about exegetical preaching. It's not just some abstract knowledge you got in your head. It's not learning facts about the Bible. Uh, it is following a person. Uh, so this article really uh, does a good job talking about that. So he gives a general uh, review of the book. Um, he says, city people especially are often unfamiliar with subjects as livestock, crops, land, fruit, wildlife. So they miss stuff in God's word, sometimes because of that lack of familiarity. Yet divine revelation is irrevocably bound up with the basic subjects of the natural world. 
So, um, so yeah, it, it is th- th- that clues you in that this isn't Tim Keller <laughs> writing, probably. But Tim Keller might say that, but uh, but uh, you know, it's it's not the urban mindset. You have to actually get into a rural mindset in a way to understand what Jesus is saying. Like any book, read this one with discernment. It is not perfect, and Keller is not writing a robust treatise on the church or biblical theology. And his exegesis is not watertight. He speaks more about the cost. Uh, experience in in this life of not following Jesus than of the eternal cost. Um, so so he says that you know there might be some defects, but he said overall it's a good book. It's got good insights. Check it out. So there you go. Uh, a shepherd looks at the good shepherd by Jonathan Fisher. And then uh, the featured article right now is really short. It's called the glory of being average, and it, it's a simple article. We published it because uh, I really. I, I was the one looking at this one for publication. I just thought, yeah, th- this is something I try to remind myself of a lot. Um, it starts off with Acts 8.1 and how the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And Stephen um, is this important biblical figure both today and in his own time. He was appointed by his peers to care for the Hellenistic widows after being recognized for his reputation and wisdom. His fame increased as he, being full of the power of the Spirit, performed wonders and miracles. Every good Christian knows the name of Stephen, who is most well-known for being stoned for his faith, and every good Christian aspires to his character. What many often miss, however, is that not everyone is like Stephen. He's a good point. Most Christians are the ones being scattered by persecution. Those scattering from the persecution weren't necessarily cowards or weak, as often they were merely protecting their families. Christian husbands have the duty to protect their wives and their children. Uh, from physical, emotional, and spiritual harm. So he talks about, look, fleeing persecution isn't wrong. This actually ties in with the whole uh, controversy about Joel Webin. <laughs> and uh, we, we talked about that briefly, I think two weeks ago, and moving to red states. Um, there's average ordinary people that that's their calling. They're not called to be missionaries in, in a really challenging area. They're called to go raise their families, and that might be better uh, done in an area where the value system of the society supports Christianity. Um, he talks about being a young man, always wanting to do something big. He said, I grew up the son of a pastor. Uh, in these types of churches, people are often encouraged to quiet themselves and try to hear what God is saying to them. At that time, he says, uh, at this charismatic church, I tried hard to quiet my thoughts and listen, but I heard nothing. Other people seem to have great tales of what God told them, and most of the time, they were prophecies of being an influential millionaire or a famous missionary. Naturally, I started to imagine that I heard God revealing his high-profile plans to me. Um, and you know, he, he says, I was influenced to believe that the only way I could be influential for God was to act like Stephen. Christians, they are influenced in the same way to think that there is only glory in being a public figure or a leader, but there is glory in being average. Now I'm going to have an article coming out in two weeks about, uh, the fact that actually we need Christians to take more power, to take leadership and to pursue it. Cause I think we have a dearth of that, but he, here's the thing. The, Christ, the Christians actually are encouraged to pursue leadership. There's like a million courses on it. It's usually not real leadership. Um, and it's not because it's in the church. You know, they don't emphasize like political leadership. It's church leadership. It does, it's not because it's in the church. It's because it's based on like personality. And it's, it's, um, it, it's based upon like what, how you can interact with other people's personality to produce something good from that. To, to pursue a certain end instead of uh, virtue being the end and you moving towards that and being maybe closer than others and others recognize you for it. Uh, just like the shepherd who's follow, who has sheep following him at a close distance. So um, all these things tie together, but, but being average uh, be, being, you, you can be a leader in your family. You're still a leader, right? 
So, so, so again, it's about the stage. It's about the platforming. It's about pursuing that stage. He says, you don't need to do that. You don't need to do that to be a faithful Christian. Take that pressure off. The average family fulfilling Deuteronomy 6, Ephesians 6, 1 Timothy 5, and Ephesians 5 receive no special recognition, but it doesn't mean that they receive less glory than Stephen. Okay, so, um, so and then he references the, uh, uh, the controversy that I just mentioned with Joel Webbin. Um, but anyway, this was written by Rob Porter, a husband of 10 years and father of two. Though a native of California, he calls Oklahoma his home. He has served in the military for over 12 years, completing two deployments and serving in Japan, California, Florida, and Virginia. And I like that because Rob Porter is, I think, the guy he's, he's writing about. He's saying, look, I'm average, and it's okay to be average. Now, maybe he's not average, and maybe he's exceptional in certain ways, but, but as, far, as far as his Christianity, he's not Stephen out there. He's not getting martyred. Uh, he's not uh, pursuing the, these really big, grandiose things. He's just trying to faithfully love his family and steward what God has given him, and that is a good thing. So um, that's True Script for this week. Uh, if you like what you hear, if you like True Script articles, uh, 501c3, feel free to donate, uh, truescript.com, scroll to the bottom, click that donate tab, or just follow us on social media. I know we're on Twitter and Facebook. Hopefully we'll get some other stuff up and running. I think there's an Instagram, uh, as well. Uh, God bless more coming next week. Bye now. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.